did you eat for breakfast this morning? Well, the, the, the Tim Ferriss question. I was a little bit behind you. So the first thing I ate was the smoothie that you left over for me, which I do have some feedback on. Whatever Please. the consistency has been really thick lately, and Avery's been laughing at me when I try to drink it because it's like a brick when I try to. Your whole face purple <laughs> yes. at the end of it. It's like the what are is it a frosty when they or like a blizzard <laughs> yeah. where you turn upside down and it doesn't move. Um, but I had that and a breakfast sandwich, mm. and I'm assuming that you had the smoothie. I did, and I agree with your assessment. Um, so I think it needs a little bit more of my coconut milk in it in the mornings <laughs> to give it in a, probably a little bit longer in the blender. But um, It tastes really good, though. That's good. the problem. It's like you can't eat it, but it tastes really good. I think part of the challenge is that I like, as you know, making the acai bowls on the weekend, and mm. so it's like it's basically the same thing, just yeah. less blended, and so mm-hmm. I'm trying to find that perfect level of blend yeah. in it. Well, the ingredients are a 10 out of 10, yes. just the consistency. <laughs> Thank you. Well, yes, I had a, I had the same thing this morning as I do every morning except for on the weekends. Do you have any hacks for drinking it? How are you How are you uh, getting it down? Do you use a straw? Lots of napkins. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely uh, making my face purple in the mornings. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's good. <laughs> well, let's jump into the last couple weeks of The Vibe. So uh, number two. Yeah. So these were the first two, uh, I think, of the new year. Yeah. Right? Yep. Um, so I'm excited to dive back into it and talk about some of the things that uh, have been going on in the worlds of tech and entrepreneurship and, and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I wrote about, uh, I guess it was last week, um, mm-hmm. was about copyright infringement um, yeah. because that's a hot button issue right now with uh, the New York Times suing uh, OpenAI and ChatGPT for for copyright infringement, and it is a very heated battle. So, what are your what are your thoughts right now on on that whole thing and and just that topic in general? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. I know we chatted about it briefly, um, I think last time, but it's hard because as people, we're affected by the information that we take in. You know, we learn from reading a newspaper article and then, you know, I read a newspaper article and then I regurgitate it to someone else when we're talking about that topic. And so I think the challenge is that the world is changing so rapidly. And I can imagine as a publication like New York Times, you're trying to protect, you know, the value of the humans that are putting in all this effort to create these works. And so that's completely understandable. And at the same time, we might have to just rethink what what is monetized about the process of sharing information and what's yeah. not, what's democratized. And that might force industries to shift a lot. But I think ultimately the goal should be disseminating more accurate information to more people. Mm-hmm. And we need to think about the most responsible way to do that. And so that's kind of where my head is at is I think it's kind of a short-sighted solution to be changing how much money the New York Times makes for its information. I think in the long term, we need to think about more creative solutions about what we pay for from an information standpoint. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think um, when you think about like music, for example, like I I wrote about in the vibe, like would the Beatles be the Beatles without Chuck Berry, you know, and the influence that, that he had on their career. And those are tough, tough things to think about from an economic perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, what is most important probably with all of this AI and, and um, ChatGPT stuff going on is that credit, uh, making sure that we're giving proper credit and right. AI is giving proper credit. Because I think in my mind that kind of solves most of this challenge is mm-hmm. if they got information from the New York Times, then just credit the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And that's probably way more 
tech difficult than <laughs> it sounds than, easy <laughs> than is my pay grade, but right. um, I would imagine that that would probably appease most parties to the most extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you know, I love playing with AI art and and designing things on Midjourney and Dali and different things too. And there's very obviously influence from from other artists and photographers and different things too. But it's still something new. It's still something that never existed before, and it's it's pleasing to me. I'm not selling this art, you know. It's a right. hobby, um, and and maybe there are people that are selling the art, and and maybe that's something that needs to be looked at from a credit perspective as well. Yeah, no, I think I think it is really interesting, and kind of a another side of this coin that I'm find interesting, not directly related to the copyright issue, is um, one of Peter Diamandis's recent blogs. We're talking about our responsibility to AI and how we can have control over how it develops. And if you think about the value of that information that we take in as humans, that's also building AI as it goes. And so the type of content that AI has access to is going to change the future of how AI views humanity itself. And so just like thinking about that topic from so many different levels is is really interesting. It is, and there's just, there's so much to kind of unpack there. And I think the, uh, governments around the world and the legal system will cipher their way through it. But I think, um, you know, I I hope it doesn't slow progress through Mm -hmm. the development of AI, because I think that would be a shame, because I think ultimately it's going to do so much more good than than harm. And hopefully we can figure out the economics of it and the copyright issues and things, too. And we can just kind of keep moving forward with with the progress around it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of AI and tech, a couple things that I wrote about over the last couple of weeks, uh, I did want to kind of get your perspective on, and, and one of those is Notion. I remember uh, <laughs> we uh, the first day that I brought up the concept of integrating Notion in our company, I think I gave you a bit of a panic attack <laughs> um, because, as you know, I love integrating all kinds of new and different technologies, and Notion is a big one. Um, it's a massive application that can do just about anything that you can imagine. There's automations built in, there's AI built into it, and it could be an entire hub for our entire company, um, or it could be a simple way to track your next read book list, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a big, big product. And so now that you've had some time to kind of sit on that and and not have a panic attack, what are your thoughts on, on Notion as a product? Well, first I need to go back and give some context to the fact that I had just wrapped a big project of building an entire hub for our company, and then you told me that we were in the wrong platform and we needed to do it in Notion. <laughs> so that is why I had a panic attack. But to be fair, it is. It's a really neat product. Um, I feel like I've only scratched the surface of all that it can do, but generally I just like it's kind of like having a dynamic project management dashboard like a streamlined website development tool almost all in one. And so we've been implementing it first off for kind of our 2024 OKRs as a company and personally. And I love that you can in real time track your progress on things and pull information from different places. Um, and that you can also publish that to a static web page in real time too. And so we've been thinking of a lot of different ways that we can utilize that from a marketing standpoint. I think our next big project is going to be creating an analytics dashboard in it and try to use some of the integrations to pull data real time. Um, but yeah, it really is a very interesting, interesting product. What about you? What are you thinking about it right now? Yeah, I think probably we, we share this that we, um, we like things to be visually appealing. <laughs> and so like we can create so many of these systems and processes on a Google sheet or, right. or Excel or whatever, but we're not probably the experts to make that sheet as beautiful as it, as it has the potential to be. If you pick the right fonts, you can get it <laughs> pretty nice. 
but I feel like with Notion, it allows us to kind of get that same um, output that we're seeking and, and right. be able to track and measure things the way that we want to, but also make it look beautiful in a way that does not require um, a master's degree in Excel or, or in coding. Yeah, and also make it um, intuitive. So when you can look at it and you know what you're looking at, and sometimes a spreadsheet, it takes a little bit of digging to actually pull a takeaway from the data that you're looking at. So I agree. I think there's a lot of uses for it that we're just now getting into, yeah. but I'm really excited to dive into some of the integrations that mm -hmm. it can do. I think that's going to be where it really streamlines and automates. Yeah. So if any employees are listening to this right now, don't panic. We're not dumping this on you tomorrow. This is something, this is a, <laughs> this is a slow bake that we are going to kind of test and play around with for quite a while before we integrate everyone into it, if we decide to integrate everyone yeah. into it. It has actually been fun to play around with now that I don't have to redo yes. <laughs> an entire project. Well, it is the time of year where the Consumer Electronics Show is happening mm. in Vegas. And as you know, it is a bucket list item for me to, to go to this at yeah. some point. Um, obsessed with all of the new tech innovations and things going mm -hmm. on. I'm following on all of it on, on, on X and, and trying to keep up with the updates. But... Uh, one of the things I, I wrote about this week was this new um, mirror that, that just came out. I think it's called the Be Mind mirror. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's pretty interesting. So it's a mirror that you would put, I, I would assume, in your bathroom. Um, and <laughs> in your kitchen. <laughs> I mean, you could put it in your kitchen, I guess. Uh, but as you are looking into it, it's kind of like the mirror mirror on the wall. It kind of <laughs> reads your mood. It reads your facial expressions. And it offers you either positive affirmations or a meditation to try to put you in that right mental state. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also analyzing your skin health and giving you recommendations about what you can do to improve it. Mm. Um, it's it's guiding you through your teeth brushing, which may be a, an <laughs> interesting thing to do. But that, certainly yeah. Avery and Ford would, would benefit from that. Um, but... How would you feel about having AI in the bathroom from that oh, perspective? I didn't think about it from that wide of a perspective. Yeah. yeah. As you were first talking, I was thinking I love it. And then thinking about all of the things in the bathroom, I don't know that I love all of that. But, I mean, we have our bathroom kind of sectioned out a little bit. I think the idea of using it for skincare, health, affirmations, all of that is really exciting. I mean, it kind of reminds me of... Obviously, we do Tom Ferry coaching, as you know, and he always talks about how he puts his affirmations up on the mirror, like writes them on the mirror or puts post-it notes up. So this is kind of like 2.0 of that and something that's more intuitive and is reacting to you in real time. So overall, I like it. Um, what about you? I mean, how do you, how would you envision using it? Yeah, I, w I want to get one like as soon as they're available. Uh, I'm excited. <laughs> that's about what it. I figured you'd but say. I, I haven't done enough research on it, but I think it also has some sort of like um, screen built into it, where like mm -hmm. like you said, like our our positive affirmations for the day or our goals or whatever. I think we might be able to project those on that mirror, um, so we don't have to write in erasable marker or in post-it notes and have those up there too. Yeah. So. Do you have any concerns over privacy of something that's filming in the bathroom? I'm not a big privacy I know person. Not, I know yeah. it's it's so important to humanity, and and there's a lot of reasons why we should be concerned about mm -hmm. privacy. But I just feel like whatever is available in my world is <laughs> I don't care. It's all out there. <laughs> it's all out there. So. <laughs> It eventually probably will be at some point anyway, but no, I don't have the privacy concerns about it. Um, and I think there's a lot of uh, protections in place now for, for companies making sure that that's not as big of an issue maybe as it has been in different different times. Hopefully. I don't think many people want their uh, bathrooms filmed and distributed, though. So. No, although it would be uh, sometimes a, a motivating critic maybe when you're <laughs> stepping on the scale. <laughs> Social accountability. Yeah. Now, one of the things I love about that, though, too, and just with technology and science in general is... 
I feel like human imagination comes up with these ideas. I mean, literally Snow White, you know, the magic mirror, and now technology is catching up. And another one that I think also came out at CES is, what is it, Bali, the little robot? And it reminds me so much of Wally, which Mm -hmm. is also very similar, but this little robotic companion that kind of rolls through the house with you. And one of the things that I think is really neat about it is the projector. So you Mm -hmm. could say like, put on a workout video for me or project my text messages that are coming in or my emails. And I can imagine, I mean, I say cooking, not me cooking, but I can imagine you cooking dinner and it projecting your emails up and, you know, you can talk through, hey, I want to respond to this one this way. But what are your thoughts on that? And do you think it'll take off? Because it sounds like this has been tried before without a lot of success. Yeah, I think I think the biggest struggle that a lot of these companies have right now with these products is the mobility of Mm -hmm. it. And so obviously, you know, homes are dynamic and they have stairs in them and they have obstacles and pets and kids and everything mm-hmm. else. And I think trying to navigate their way through the complexity of that, um, that space is, is often challenging, but assuming that it does work and can follow me around the house and update me <laughs> on my emails and text messages and project them up on a screen, uh, or, or on the wall or whatever, I think that that, that would be really cool. It's something I'm definitely interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, the difference now, probably from when this was first tried a couple of years ago, was is obviously the AI integrations right. that it'll have put in place in it, um, and it can serve as like a little security bot for your home. Mm-hmm. So um, we can see where Maddie is when she's roaming around the house and up on the couch when she's not mm-hmm. supposed to be. And I'm I'm curious if it'll allow us to to yell at her through the through the ring camera. <laughs> That's true, but, and she does not move even though she hears our voices. Right. So. Yeah, it's something I'd love to, to play around with and, and learn a little bit more about. But um, I think that stuff's just going to continue getting better. And it's always like for me, like, um, you know, I was just talking to our content producer about this. Like, when is the right time to get the next iPhone? Mm-hmm. Because you don't want to get the iPhone like the year before. Like, it has all these amazing updates and, and different things. And the camera's 10x better. Right. You kind of want to find it like at that sweet spot where they've just like broken through with all mm-hmm. of these new innovations. And, and you can use it for two or three years before having to shell out a new uh a new update or, or expense for a new phone. And, yeah. and I wonder where that line is with some of these products too. That makes sense. And I think part of the reason why now might be a better time than previously is the AI and the smart technology throughout the rest of the home is also catching up so that it has the capability to do more things. I mean, some of the things in the press release that I was looking at were saying it can feed your dog for you, water your plants for you, you know, turn on the oven, whatever the case might be. But as everything is tech enabled, I think the capability of that is great. I mean, that's something that'd be exciting to me is like, hey, go check on the dog, see where it is. Feed her. Does she have enough water? Give her some water, you know. Know, just actually being able to do those things in real time is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's super interesting. I think probably the next iteration of that is that it will just do those things. We don't have to tell it to do those True. things, that it'll just know, hey, the dog needs water or food or she's making a mess right now. Let me alert the owners, right, <laughs> right. whatever it might be. Um, but I think that'll be a cooperation uh, eventually down the road that, that'll come out as well. Yeah. And one that I see you getting as soon as you humanly can is the new transparent TV. That is a pretty cool one. It is so cool. Um, yeah. I, it's probably on order already. It's, it's one of those things that, like, I can't, I don't know what a practical uh, use for that thing will be other than using it as a TV, but it just looks really cool. Yeah. And so uh, it'll be fun to have one of those on the wall or on our TV stand and, mm-hmm. and, and see what it does. But um, it's really neat. I, I don't know if you've seen any of the videos around it, but you can see, like, splashes of color just coming up out of what seems to be air because it's it's so transparent. Um, yeah. It's a neat technology, and I, I think what's what's interesting is to see 
what else comes from that specific technology. Like we have doors in this office that are glass. Can those doors all of a sudden become a screen and tell mm. people the agenda for that office for the day? That's um, a great idea. Can we throw up notes on there for, for people that are passing by? Or, sure. I'm know? prospecting right now. Could yes. be <laughs> there when it needs to be. And yeah. yeah. So there's, I think there's a lot of cool uses for that technology. Um, that that could come from that but initially it's just a cool thing and i don't know how necessarily i would use it but it would be a cool thing to own and have well i like the idea of it from a design perspective because mm -hmm. i think logistically and i think a lot of women feel this way not to stereotype but the tv over the fireplace and like the main focal point of the house is not the most visually appealing place for it but it's the most practical place and so even in our house in our living room it would be neat to have something that just looks like a clear frame when it's not on and you can almost or make it look like a piece of art and then you turn it on and it's a TV. Um, so I think that would be a really not practical use for it, but a way to make it, you know, make sense. Um, but speaking of design, that was something that I was really interested in that you've been talking about because I feel like the design world and the trends are changing a lot right now. And it's kind of having a kind of like an opposite swing from where we've been for the long time, where for the past couple of years, I think a lot of the trends have been very minimalist, very like white and gray and kind of blank. And it feels like designers are moving in the exact opposite direction now. And you mentioned trends like painting your ceiling the same color as your walls, or I've seen a lot of things about more like handmade, intricate, patterned wallpaper or tiles or just things that are more personalized and intricate. And so I'm kind of curious your take on that because our house is not that way at all. No, it's not. <laughs> and um, I'm kind of ready for some change there. You know, I think uh, <laughs> I, I embrace this new deco or whatever mm -hmm. they're, they're calling it these days in terms of a trend. And I think what is interesting is I think you can have a home that is that flows well and that's cohesive, but each room having its own personality mm -hmm. too, which I really like. And I know we've just recently done some things in our bedroom to kind of make it a little bit more that way. But I think playing around with, like you said, like local goods and art and mm -hmm. knickknacks and things that you can put around the home and also playing around with the paint colors and the furniture and the mm -hmm. angles and the edges and, and things too that I think can really make a space feel more interesting. And it seems like where we're leaning into as far as the trends go with residential is almost in the direction of, of commercial. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of beautiful restaurants, um, mm -hmm. speakeasies and different things right. that like have that kind of vibe now that we're seeing in the mm -hmm. homes a little bit more than we used to. Yeah, I agree. I think of like a boutique hotel, you know, when you go into the lobby, it usually it's not just all white anymore and, and you know, modern and stark. It's a little bit more interesting than that. And I like it too. I just always struggle. You know, I'm a minimalist and so I don't like a lot of things around and clutter. And I think a lot of people feel that way where they feel stressed in a space that has a lot of stuff in it. Mm -hmm. And so finding that balance is going to be interesting. But I do feel the same way. I'm kind of tired of white walls and yeah. I'm very tired, not to offend anyone, but of the all gray everything look mm -hmm. like I think we need yes. to go ahead and get we, rid of that. Can we bury that yeah, forever? Exactly. The Just, gray, the gray look of, of all builders and flippers and yeah. floors and Just, walls and cabinets and everything. It's just, just a storm cloud. It is. Color. And it's just so depressing <laughs> to walk into. I'm just, I'm so over it. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel, and I know I'm going to be probably crucified for this here locally, but the farmhouse trend too. I'm just, I'm, I'm done with it at this point. I'm so over it. What are, <laughs> what are, what are your thoughts on that? I like that look, but I just think it's been overdone. And yeah. I think I think you can take it and take it to the most modern version of it to make it still interesting. And you can take a farmhouse, like, basic, because it's hard to change the exterior of your house. If you've picked the white siding and the black windows and that look, it can be a little bit hard to switch that up. 
But I think you can take little design elements like the kind of front door that you pick or, I don't know, like changing a dormer that's like this to a shed roof, something along those lines, and then inside kind of go for more of that visual interest and more color and more modern shapes in order to get you past that Chip and Joanna Gaines as much as I love them, um, you know, that typical yeah. farmhouse style. I think that the overall trend seems to be towards like uniqueness, like mm -hmm. personality and uniqueness. Like we're, I think we're just tired as a society of having the same house right. next to the same house, next to the same house. And mm -hmm. the same goes with interior design, exterior design. I just think that people are ready for something a little bit more unique and interesting that reflects their own personality. I agree. I will be interested to see how that plays out in a real estate perspective, mm -hmm. because when you do pick things that are so specific to you, it's going to make your house your happy place. You know, you're yeah. going to love it, but are you going to narrow your buyer pool a little bit? And I'm just curious to see how that plays out if everyone's sensibilities just change, where they're more open to bold colors and they're more open to wallpaper and prints and things like that, or if people will customize their houses and then when it's time to sell, kind of go back to more of the basics. We'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah, that's a really good point that I hadn't considered. It'll be, it'll be interesting, and I think um, trends especially in a rural area like we live in, comes slowly. Mm -hmm. And so I think we'll have some, some small test cases to kind of play around with to see what that looks like from the real estate perspective as well. Yeah, but I wouldn't recommend people do this to like their rental property no. or the house that they plan to live in for one year. You know, it's yeah. really when it's your home that you kind of feel rooted in is when it's the right time to make it yours. Yeah, I totally agree. So kind of shifting gears, um, a big topic that I wrote about this week was the cost of higher education. Mm. And you and I have had this conversation um, quite a bit. And obviously we both went to college, mm -hmm. um, both have, have multiple degrees. And <clears throat> Rachel, for those of you who don't know, is, is much, much smarter than me. And she got a full academic ride. And so I was, I was the goofball in school that, that did not and had to kind of worked my way through it. But I was so fortunate that in our state, um, there's a program, uh, it, it used to be called the SEED program. I'm not sure if it's still called the same thing or not, where I was able to go to school for, for two years uh, for free locally at the community college before transferring to um, a larger university. And that just made it so much more practical for mm -hmm. me um, because I did not want to take out massive loans and right. debt. And uh, and because I was such a goofball and pretty average student in, in high school, I was nervous about taking out these massive loans. And what if I failed? What if I didn't do well in college? And right. I'll be stuck with this, you know, as I'm trying to start out my life. Mm -hmm. um, but the, even since then, I mean, we've been out of college, what, for 12, 11, 12 wanna, years? I don't want to add that up. <laughs> a while. Um, but calls have risen like 30 and 40% yeah. since then, like far outpacing like the rate of inflation. Mm -hmm. And so it just, it gets to a point where, is it worth it? You know, is that experience worth it? Is it necessary to get the jobs today that, um, that, that kids are interested in? Mm -hmm. um, I just think it's a whole different economic landscape right now. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are. And obviously we have two little ones that in 10 years we'll be having these conversations. With. Yeah, I think it's hard because I, I think there's not a one-size-fits-all answer to this, in my opinion. I think there are people who, by the time they're in school, they kind of have a natural ability for something, and they know what they want to do, and they just jump right into it. And also, you know, 
to be honest, it, it is a luxury to be able to go to a four-year college, and not everyone is fortunate enough to have that luxury of time just to not be making money or the money to spend to actually do that. Um, and so I think it's an invaluable experience as a human. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I was ready to even think about what I wanted to do for the rest of my life when I was 18. I really admire kids today that do. I mean, we have multiple real estate agents in our company that are 18 years old that just took the, you know, took the initiative to say, this is what I want to do. I want to jump right into the working field. And it takes a tremendous amount of confidence, I think, at 18 to do that. Um, so I was really fortunate. I felt like to go to college because I was exposed to so many other areas of study and of potential career options that I never would have had just going to high school and coming straight out. Um, that being said, I'm not doing anything that has anything to do with the degrees that I got. Well, Similar languages, languages you're using. Well, yeah, I do get to brush up on my Spanish every <laughs> once in a while, so yeah. that's been fun. But I mean, international relations, mm -hmm. political science, I find those topics really interesting, but it doesn't come into play that much. So even at you know, 21, 22, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so I think as someone who was fortunate enough to have that experience, I'm grateful for it and I wouldn't change it. But if I was economically constrained or if I'm looking at it from a practical perspective, I think the best teacher and the best way to find your path to what you're ultimately going to do is getting out into the working world and just doing it. So when I look at our kids, it's hard to imagine them knowing what they're going to want to do when they're 18. But, you know, we'll have to see when they get there and see if they have a passion that's they're ready to pursue at that point. Yeah, and I kind of feel the same way in terms of like, I don't regret the experience, you know. Mm -hmm. it, for me, it was it was life-changing growing up in a small town of, you know, three or 4,000 people and never being exposed to a variety of different cultures mm -hmm. and experiences. And and I think that that was kind of eye-opening for me in, in such a positive way. It mm -hmm. made me more worldly or, or, you know, whatever you want to call right. it. But I think it was a great, great experience. But just like you, you know, obviously, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not in foreign policy right now. Right. And so as much as I'm interested in those things and, and those topics are so much fun and interesting to study and learn about, um, the economic value for that is it just isn't there. Right. You know, and, and same thing with, with education. You know, we were both teachers and, and we did what was necessary to become teachers. And I do think there's elements of that specifically that we can carry over for to sure. business yeah. and real estate and things too. So I think there is some level of economic value to mm -hmm. that. But imagine if we got an under, undergraduate degree and then continued it with a graduate degree in education and then we're just teachers for the rest of our lives yeah, and think about how long it takes to to get an ROI out of that that degree yeah. and it's really a shame because teachers as as we all know are not compensated like they should mm -hmm. be and that's that's a big systemic problem I think in this country specifically but that paired with the cost of education today makes it almost unattainable to have mm -hmm. you know a middle or middle upper class lifestyle as a teacher yeah, agreed. I think it's really hard to make that make sense from a math perspective, mm -hmm. the amount of money in to the amount of money out. I totally agree. And I think the intangible benefit really is the way that college teaches you to be a critical thinker, teaches you to be maybe open to different perspectives, to consider things, to just become a more well-rounded human. And that does transfer into whatever field that you take on. But again, if you're being practical about it, yeah. it would be really hard to make an argument that um, that it does make dollars and cents. But I will be interested to see, kind of like we were talking about the copywriting and, you know, the value of journalism and information, what people are willing to pay for different services. I think education is going to change drastically with AI over the next couple decades. And I'll be curious to see if people 
have such a customized, tailored education in the K to 12 system that they don't need to go to college to be exposed to things that fit their natural abilities and their natural passions because maybe their educational experience will be so fine-tuned to who they are as a person and their abilities that by the time you're 18 years old, you actually have a pretty good sense of yourself and you know what will make sense for you to at least try out first. Yeah, and, and I, I think that that's just, it's such an evolving topic, education in general, whether it's K through 12 or higher education. Yeah. And I'm, I'm super curious to see what the next 10 years look like. And I think it's, you know, we don't even know the conversations that we're going to be having with our kids at that point because the world's going to look so differently. And uh, Avery may be all of our bosses by then anyway. She'll point, be so. there when she's 12. Yeah. But can you imagine if Ford had a personalized AI tutor, what he would be asking it oh, and what I it would be teaching him? I cannot imagine. Yeah, they would be Lego towers the size of our house. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of our household, one thing that I didn't expect to see in the vibe, because, I mean, Maddie does misbehave a good bit and isn't always at the top of your favorite member of the household list these days, but is your um, recent change to her nutrition to kind of help keep her around a little bit longer. So you want to talk about that? Yes. Um, Maddie is not the best dog I ever had. Stop. She's a fine dog. But... She's the second best, but she's also the second dog you've That's had. That's true. Yes. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, it's, it is, it is regardless of, of how you feel about animals, it's sad to see them age when they become such a part of the family. And uh, Maddie was our first child before mm -hmm. Avery. We got her Test exactly, run. I think, one year before mm -hmm. Avery was, was born. And so that was kind of our, our first venture into that. And uh, she's grown up with our kids. Um, she's grown up in some ways with our marriage. And mm -hmm. she's kind of been uh, present uh, through all of those things. And so seeing her get out of bed a little bit more slowly um, and then take a few steps with a little bit of a limp before mm -hmm. she, she makes her way outside is, uh, is challenging. And so if there's ways that we can improve, you know, the remaining years of their lives, I think we should absolutely try to do that. Um, and so I found, um, I found this science diet food. She's been on science diet for forever mm -hmm. um, and, and it seems to, to do really well with it. But this particular blend um, has both uh, uh, nu nutrition elements in it that help her lose weight because we have um, we've been bad parents and let her gain probably a few pounds more than than she should. I blame Ford because he's just a perfect eye level for her where she can steal all the snacks. She does steal his food, um, but it also has glucosamine and some other yeah. elements to it that that really help her joints. Um, and I have seen a significant improvement. I don't know mm -hmm. if it's if it's just the weight loss that she's had or if it's mm -hmm. it's the blend of both that and and the the uh, the nutrition related to the joints and things, but um, she hops out of bed a little bit more spry, mm -hmm. um, makes her way to the door just fine and and stairs seem to be a little easier for her. So whatever's in it seems to be working. Um, and I'm curious to see if that continues or if it's a temporary fix. Mm -hmm. um, but she's she's what now 9 years old? Yeah, be 10. And for a, for a red bone hound, she is, uh, she's getting up there in age. She is, yeah. And she's, uh, she's been getting some compliments on her weight loss, too. Every time people come over, they're like, oh, Maddie, you look great. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. working. So she's still got that gray, <laughs> gray beard. We can't fix that problem. Well, I guess, I guess we, we could. could. But, uh, it would be interesting to <laughs> yeah. see. Avery probably uh, has already tried, I'm yeah. sure. Um, but no, she's, 
she's a good dog, even though she jumps up on the counter at times and uh, gets on the couch and steals food from our kids. Um, mm-hmm. She's she's overall a, a fine specimen. She's fine. <laughs> she's <laughs> she's much better than the cat. At least I will say that much better than the cat. So Maddie and then Luna down yes. here. Yeah. There's the, the disparity between those two is not this. It is it's significant. Oh it's, wow. Yeah, it's yeah. As you know, I'm not a cat person, so. Luna's an odd one, too. So. <laughs> well, speaking of diet, um, I recently discovered some new protein bars that I think you have been enjoying as well. They are very good. Uh, they are Papa Steve's is the brand, Papa Steve's Protein Bars. And I stumbled upon them at one of our, our new grocery stores in town. The Pharmacy yes. in Milford, which if you haven't been anyone local, you mm. should definitely check it out. It's incredible kind of like a mini Wegmans or mm-hmm. something like a Trader Joe's. And so it's, yeah. it's a lot of cool uh, things that you can find in there that you may not see otherwise. But I found these bars in there and I love them. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a little research on them and they are made uh, fresh every single week out in California. And then they're shipped over here and you can, I feel like you can taste the, the freshness and the, <laughs> yeah. the way that they make them. What, do you, what are your thoughts on those? They're really good. I know the first one you got was like an apple pie flavor mm-hmm. essentially. And that was really good. But personally, I'm not a big like fruit besides just eating fruit, like fruit flavored person. And so I love the, I think we got like a chocolate almond coconut one or something. And that one was really good, kind of like an almond joy flavor, but all of the flavors have been really good. And I do agree. Anything that they're making fresh to that level mm-hmm. is always going to be really good. It reminds me a little bit, it's not quite as crunchy granola-y, the other ones that I like, but perfect bars, which mm-hmm. are like refrigerated and just like feels like real food and not something that's so ultra processed that it can just sit on a shelf for yeah. five years and still be good. It makes you feel like you're eating something that's a little bit better for you nutritionally. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And we talked a little bit about what our breakfast routine is. I'm, I'm curious what we get. We get stuck in ruts mm. uh, a little bit with our food. And so what, how would you describe a typical day of eating for, for us? A typical, probably, a, I mean, obviously we're together all day, but we eat different things. Mm-hmm. I think you probably do a better job right now of fitting less processed food in. And so that's kind of one of my 2024 goals is to do better with that. But, I mean, for me, it's usually either a perfect bar or a frozen breakfast sandwich and your leftover smoothie first thing in the morning. Lunch, a lot of times, is frozen Asian entrees because you don't love Asian food. And so I just sneak it in wherever I can when I'm choosing my own food. So I like the um, P.F. Chang's, like, frozen dumplings. make those a lot. And then dinner, whatever you make, because I'm very fortunate that you just kind of handle that. (laughs) What about you? Yeah, I mean, obviously breakfast is, is that smoothie pretty much every day unless it's the weekend, and then I splurge on mm-hmm. an acai bowl, and every once in a while a, a bacon, egg, and cheese yeah. uh, sandwich. A uh, surf bagel, as Ford calls bagel. it. Yeah, yeah, um, those are always good. Uh, but lunch, I get into these, like, habits, and so mm-hmm. right now my, my particular habit is I am drinking bone broth um, as my appetizer for lunch, <laughs> which I really enjoy, and it's super uh, filled with protein and filling and, and everything else. Um, I have uh, some sort of a small sandwich with like keto bread. Like uh, lately it's been just a simple peanut butter and jelly, um, but sometimes it'll be lunch meat or whatever it might be. And then um, I usually end for dessert with one of those uh, Papa Steve's bars. <laughs> Thank you, Papa um, Steve. That's my current lunch routine. Sometimes it's salad, sometimes it's different things, but I'll probably play this out until I'm tired of it and then switch it up. Mm-hmm. But our... Dinners at home recently just got a new um, revolution. Uh, oh, in your terms Christmas of gift! My Christmas gift. We got a uh, 
a uh, what is it called? An air fryer. An air fryer. <laughs> yeah. Not a deep fryer, an air fryer. <laughs> Opposite and, end. Yes. And people have been telling me to get an air fryer for, I don't know, probably five years at mm-hmm. this point. Every time I see someone that has one, that's all they rave about. Mm-hmm. And I've just been kind of pushing it aside. And finally, we have one. And now I am one of those disciples. Yeah, pretty much every night something comes out of the air fryer. Everything from like sandwiches to meats and you've really done a lot of things in it already. Yeah, last night I think it was um, a venison uh, steak. Oh, I didn't even, I thought it was beef. I yeah, didn't even see, know. I tricked you, see? you know, making you <laughs> eat healthier. You don't even know it. <laughs> but it was really good. And it just has like a healthy-ish kind of crunch to it mm-hmm. um, that you can get kind of from frying um, different meats and things. But it doesn't have any added oil or, mm-hmm. or anything in it, so it's it's delicious and also kind of healthy. Yeah, we got one for my parents too, which was fun because my mom's always monitoring my dad's fat intake, and so I thought it was kind of like She's a little. On top of that. Yes, it was like a little gift to him that he could have some of his foods that he likes without getting in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the last place I want to go today mm-hmm. is comedy. Um, oh my. You and I, I think, both uh, share a love for stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. We have gone uh, many times to the cellar in New York mm-hmm. and, and different comedy clubs all around the world. And it's one of my favorite pastimes. And I think it's, uh, I don't know, when you're when you're sitting there watching a stand-up that is just in his element. He has mm-hmm. control of the room. He knows, you know, what he's going to say, how he's going to say it. And you can just feel like the expert approach that this person takes to his, his craft. It's... It's refreshing, um, it's inspiring, and it and it makes you kind of forget about everything else that you have to do and all the other worries and struggles that you have in, in the world. Um, but recently we just saw the new uh, Dave Chappelle special. And, uh, the dreamer. Yes. Dave does not come without controversy, but <laughs> I think there's very few people on the planet that would not suggest that he's he's one of the top three or four comedians maybe of, of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, he's probably in top top two. What are your thoughts on that special and, and, and Dave Chappelle? I, I love Dave Chappelle. I think he's hilarious, and I agree with you. Sometimes when he's on stage, he's telling a story, and you're kind of like, where is he going with this? You know, And it just feels like it's rambling, and then he brings it back around, and you're like, oh, my gosh, he is just a genius, how he links all these things together and just makes you feel you feel like you're like sitting at a bar having a conversation with a friend, but it's hilarious. That's my favorite kind of comedy. I don't love the, like, shtick people that move around and do silly voices and stuff like that but with him it's just it's so smart um it is not for the faint of heart or anyone that is easily offended no matter what your political beliefs are you will likely find something that he says that you don't agree with um but i love that because i think one of the things about stand-up comedy that is the most fun is kind of poke fun at the things that are sensitive and sometimes it's helpful just to laugh about that so that we can talk about things that are hard to talk about. And I think stand-up comedy is a really interesting um, platform from which we can have tough conversations as a society. So he does a great job at it, and you will laugh your butt off if you watch it. (laughs) (laughs) It's such an interesting art because I think um, in order to be a really good stand-up comic, you have to be Mm hyper-intelligent. I mean, you have to be an incredible storyteller. You have to be depending on the type of comedy, you have to understand all of the things that are happening in the world and how each individual is thinking about those things in different ways and be able to connect the dots and, and relate to people in, in so many different ways. And, and Dave is just a master of that. Um, but there's, as you said, there's so many different forms of comedy too. Mm-hmm. And, and as you know, I'm a big uh, Rodney Dangerfield guy. Oh my gosh! And uh, don't I know you're no not. one ever ask him to do his Rodney Dangerfield impression. <laughs> he will not stop. It's a uh, 
I would give it a B minus, maybe my my Rodney impression. Um, C plus, B minus. Okay. We'll, we'll, <laughs> say, we'll save that for another day. But <laughs> it's just it's so funny to watch different people um, doing comedy in so many different ways. It is, and if if someone wants to be uh, entertained in like a shocking way, I would recommend checking out Cat Williams' interview on was it Shannon Smith? Is that the guy's Shannon name? Shannon Sharp. Yes. Sharp. That's Rachel's it. Rachel's not a football fan. No, so I please, know. I just know it's a guy her. named Shannon. That's yeah. all. <laughs> But that was quite an interview and seeing different kinds of comedy. I mean, he definitely has a completely different style. But if you watch that interview, despite all of the controversy, you do realize he's a really smart guy. Yeah, and he can still run a 4 4. Yeah, I, saw, I saw the video on TikTok, like so it must be four true. tall, and he can run a 4 <laughs> 4. Incredible. Too. That was one of the funnest uh, shows that we went to live. It was, it was just such a cool experience because. First of all, it was, I think, probably five hours long. Like, I mean, there were, like, four people that opened for at me, least, at least, and, like, an MC to the show. The energy level was through the roof the whole time. It was crazy. It was just so much energy, like you said, and, and I, I loved every every part of it. But it was it was the longest comedy show I've ever been to and probably the hardest I've ever laughed. And, and one, one of the things that mm-hmm. Kat said in the interview that he did was he only brings comedians with him to open that he believes are truly funnier than him. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, to be honest, the the opening acts were just as funny, if not funnier, yeah. than him when he came out. Yeah. It was a really good one. Yeah, he did. And the guy that was the MC, didn't he run for mayor of D.C.? Didn't we <laughs> yeah, see, like, like right did. after that show, we were in he D.C. Did. and he had posters all through the city running for mayor. Yeah. Like, what in, what in the world? It's such an interesting mix there. But, yeah, it's the world of stand-up comedy is just fascinating to me and, and just the lives that these these people live. Because, they're I mean, they're all night owls. They have to be. And so right. they're sleeping all day and then out all night. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a... You know, there's the stigma of drugs and alcohol and everything else that goes into it. That's that's just so fascinating how these people, they're so intelligent and, and usually come from difficult upbringings, right. too, and, like, adversity in their life. And I think mm-hmm. that's part of the thing that makes them so funny. And, mm-hmm. and, and when we think about the, the funniest comedians on the planet, it, one of the things for me that it seems like m- many of them have in common is there's some sort of ethnic diversity there. Mm-hmm. You know, they're either African-American or or Latino, or they have uh, a Jewish uh, background. You know, mm-hmm. there's just so many different things there that make it really compelling and interesting mm-hmm. that are different from your everyday life in most mm-hmm. cases. Yeah, I would agree. And I was so shocked recently when we were able to see Nikki Glaser in Rehoboth. Mm-hmm. It was funny because we went down there and half of the people that we know were there. We hadn't even planned in advance. But, I mean, the fact that she came to Rehoboth is pretty incredible. And that was another... Yeah. She was very dark, so you can tell she's been through some things, but it was hilarious. We were cracking up the whole time. Yeah, it was it was a fun show. But, um, yeah, we need to plan our next comedy trip. And, I'm thinking and, New York in the spring. Yeah, that sounds fun. All right, well, episode number two. Episode two in the books, and I look forward to the next one. Yep. Yeah.